You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am here with my friends from across this beautiful nation. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in Subject, South Carolina, in his attic, we got Dumar Pete. Hello. Um, enjoying the the recently rejected by Giannis, but still approved by pastors, eating Chick-fil-A, we got Andrew Larson. I really hope the ventilation is better in Dell's attic than it is in here, because Tim had something <laughs> spicy at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and Timothy Miller. Andrew, I had nothing spicy. I'm just trying to get back on a, on a better eating plan, and I had a, a massive protein shake this morning. Something was Frank, massive. is that how slow the news cycle is in Milwaukee, that you're still talking about Giannis and Chick-fil-A? No. Did you not hear what he did recently, like this past weekend? Oh, he, this past he, weekend? He, no, then I'm, I'm out He's of ahead of us, Jeff. He, wow. He, uh, I apologize. I, it, it, might, it might have been like late last week. <laughs> no, I didn't hear he, he, what he did. He scored more than 50 points in the game. He scored like 54 points or 52 points. He's gone. And Frank, we we'll you guys. We'll see you <laughs> next week. You don't hear me? I'm right um, here. just contemplating. You stop right oh, before the gossip. Man, That's, I wish people uh, could see hello, this recording. Hello, it's funny. Hello, hello. <laughs> Dang it. What's going on? And Well, I mean, this is it. This, yeah. is, All this right. is it. Oh, crap. <laughs> well, how's y'all's day going, fellas? It's going pretty good right now. My, oh, my there he is. He's back. Oh, guess who's He's back. back. back <laughs> my again. internet literally dropped out of nowhere. That's weird. Um, so, hey, Frank, what did Giannis do this last weekend? Giannis scored more than 50 points, and last time he did that, he went to Chick-fil-A and asked, ordered 50 chicken nuggets and a large half Sprite, half lemonade. And, like, it, everyone went crazy. Um, it, it, it was like someone said it was like half a million dollars of free advertising for Chick-fil-A, and Chick-fil-A created a new drink called the 50-50, um, which wow. is basically the drink he ordered. But um, but <laughs> this past weekend, he tweeted after he scored 52, 54 points, however much he scored, he says, I'm going to Culver's and ordering 50 cheeseburgers because Chick-fil-A won't give me any free food. <laughs> and so he, like, slammed Chick-fil-A, and he went to, he went to Culver's and got 50 cheeseburgers. So, like, so like wow. the Midwest would, is, like, stoked. I'd be messed up because... after about a cheeseburger and a half from Culver's. I can't say I disagree with him that they're not that, the best chicken nuggets. I mean. That, that butter burger, oof. Oh, I will go yeah. anywhere other than Chick Fil A. Let's do Culver's. I, I've, had, I've never had Culver's. Chicken. I've never had Culver's. Is it good? It's great. Hey, hold on, is that the it's place good. that has the I, custard? Yeah, we have one. Okay, I've had their custard. We went yes. one time four years yeah. ago and never went back. Really? I don't. Now, as on someone the, who on lives the kids in Wisconsin, bags, you get a free ice cream coupon. So as someone good. who lives, as someone who lives in Wisconsin, and they're everywhere, I would say it's not a top five burger place at all. I, I could name five other mm. places that are better than Culver's. Oh, I agree with that. But not it's the only place you can get a kids meal, and it be literally the same portions as an adult meal, and you get a free frozen custard in it. And also, frozen custard is better than ice cream in general. Um, that but, I agree with. But I, don't know, I think it's more just like him, like um, uh, loving uh, uh, loving um, Milwaukee than anything else. Anyways. Uh, I have a, 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 qu- a question for you guys. Or not a question, more like a discussion piece. Um, what's going on with our conference? Why haven't we talked about it the past couple of days? Well, why is it that when you go to the website, Frank, we've been, you're not we've been meaning, anymore? We've been meaning to talk to you, buddy, because we know how much it means to you. 
But about a month ago, we kind of had to decide that it just wasn't going to happen in 2023. And we reached out to everybody who had registered, and we contacted them and let them know that we just weren't going to be able to do it this year, and they were incredibly gracious to us. And so officially, the 2023 Practically Pastoring Conference is not happening, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. I was trying to type all that down on my typewriter, and then I think Frank is using <laughs> real. Yeah. You know, Frank's like, guys, make sure you mute oh, your man. mics when you're not typing. <laughs> the irony in this episode is hilarious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Anyways, so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm live. Um, what's it called? Uh, stenographers. I'm live writing everything Andrew's saying, so that way we have a full manuscript of it or transcript of it. Um, so Andrew. We're not having the conference, and that's we're, very we're sad. It, yeah, we we wish we were, but we we couldn't make it happen. Yeah, but if you want, you but, could just make a Chat GPT account and then ask it what we would do at a conference in our voices and see what happens. <laughs> that might be yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the fo- the fo- <laughs> that would be kind of really funny. The f- I mean, Dumbo's already done that too. Yeah. Um, so the folks True. over at. Um, uh, who have signed up for the conference already know this. They're getting a refund, all that kind of stuff. But um, but uh, we're, we're kind of bummed about it. But we're actually um, uh, we're still meeting. Uh, we're going to gather and, and chat, and we're going to have like a little meeting to discuss kind of like you know our dreams, our goals, our aspirations for presently pastoring, and and I think maybe even have a conversation of like what does live events look like, but but maybe more regional than national. We don't want to give anything away, but like we have ideas, we have thoughts, but. Um, there is something that we're doing, and if you're interested, um, you can reach out to us. Some folks who signed up for the conference um, have already got an Airbnb and plane tickets. So they already still plan on already being down there. Oopsie. And there's actually, you know, Dustin Sams. He's he's down in Florida. There's a couple other Floridian pastors who actually didn't sign up, but they're asking like, "Hey, could we stop by? Could we hang out?" And so we have plans on the 21st to hang out. All right. Um, details are coming soon, but if you if you want, if you want this, if you if you're planning on being in Florida, specifically in the Central Florida, Tampa Bay, Tarpon Springs area, and you want to come hang out, we got some plans. Tim, Tim, Tim can I say that we have plans? If you're coming, we... slide into Frank's DM, specifically you ladies, slide right into his DM. <laughs> oh, no. If you're gonna be in no. Florida, wow. don't do that. We, we okay. may have something in the works. I may have been given the keys to a certain someone's Ooh, house who really? may or may not even be there. I'm Here's a little worried person. about it. I, oh, I'm dude. a little nervous. Are you saying I can try on his clothes? I, oh, my God. I'm nervous. Again? Okay. Uh, I mean, man. either way, either way, either way, there's, I think, one event that I, I don't want to speak. I don't want to share too much because if anything falls through, I don't want to be <coughs> held accountable for that. But, like. For sure, there'll probably be an event where, you know, it'll be very practically pastoring, but, you know, if you show up, we'll be chatting, we'll be hanging out, talking about pastoral stuff, and then there'll be just a straight-up hangout, chill, relaxing, probably by some water, hangout time um, in the evening. So if you're interested in that, and and, uh, and this information is going to go to all the folks who signed up for, for PPCon, but also anyone who lives in Florida. If you're interested in that idea on February 21st and you're around, chat, hey, hit up any of us. 
go go into Jeff's DMs. Go into any of our DMs, and I ain't gonna see him if you're if I'm not your friend and you <laughs> DM me, it's gonna get deleted. Yeah, so. yeah. Jeff and Amy have a, a single couple account, so so they're one of those couples that like Amy's absolutely only not in the, in the message. <laughs> Anyways, so come hit us up. Um, we would love to see you. We actually might have a little surprise for the some of these events, but uh, but what yeah. we don't want to yeah. do is hype something up for weeks and weeks and weeks and then have to cancel it. So let's not talk about it too much more. Yeah, that's that's the full extent yeah. of our conversation there. Um, hey, <laughs> we got uh, we got three discussions I got from uh, different posts on Facebook that I want to share with you guys. One, the first one was from our Facebook, so I think it's worth talking about. We usually preach through books at our church. I'm feeling led to do a two or two to three week Sunday break before we start a new book. I'd like to preach through some of the essential doctrines of the church. Have you done this in the past? Just looking for ideas that have worked and which ones you focused on. So let me let me say to, to this person that my church also does like books of the Bible. And then usually between books, we'll take a two to four week break. And in fact, are we fi- we're finishing Colossians this Sunday. And the next Sunday, we're going to do a four week series on spiritual practices. So um, so that's something that like having a little topical sermon between books, I think is a good kind of refresh and a good like ability to like kind of have some variety but um have you guys ever taught about your church's doctrinal statement or essential church doctrines in your church and what did that look like well first of all the recovering cessationist in me got a little uncomfortable when he said i'm feeling led be careful but then i said <laughs> wait a minute that's legitimate and uh i would just say yeah I'd, if if i was thinking about doing something like this i might go through yeah, maybe pick something from your doctrinal statement, or I would do the creed. I mean, I've been thinking about doing the, the hey. Nicene Creed for a long time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's a good break in between. I mean, having said that, right now my church is about to get into our denomination's sort of Christology, which we call the fourfold gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to do that for four weeks. Mainly, I try to do it every like two years, uh, just so that it's you know it, being taught to the folks that are in my church. And uh, we've got a bunch of new people, and um, so we're going to do that for the next four weeks. And we just came off of a six-week series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in that mode right now. But, yeah, that's the first place I'd go if I was looking to do something from scratch would be um, one of the ecumenical creeds. So it's, it's a good starting Hon- point. Honestly, you mu- you and me must be breathing the same air. Um, our church, two weeks ago, all of our groups are going through the Nicene Creed. And, um, and our groups were using Chandler as a resource because he actually did a really good job. Um, I don't know if y'all are listening to Matt Chandler's series on that. He handled Ooh. some of the stuff in there. Just some guy. Yeah, just some guy. But like he handled the stuff in there pretty good. Sunday mornings, we have, uh, I think, one or two weeks left in a series we were calling. It's called Grab Bag Theology. And it's kind of like the whole idea. If you were to go on an airplane, you can only take certain things with you. Like what are the essentials, you know? And uh, we are using that to cover some some theological things. And- um, my go-to on this would be to, you know, find find something, still find a a section of a book that you might not have time to cover. You know, you probably don't have three years to do an in-depth uh, study on the Book of Genesis, but you can do a five or six-week uh, series on Genesis one one through three, or you know, so do the first three chapters of Genesis, the creation account. Um, I think someone in the comments mentioned the Beatitudes. We just, we kicked off 
the new year with a Beatitudes series because that's something that you can do in several weeks, whereas doing the entire book of Matthew might take you several years. So I would still aim to find a cohesive study to preach through, but maybe not do the whole book version. It's a good idea, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Tim, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Andrew on this. That's that's typical what we've done in the past, too. There's just a little three- or four-week gap there. We, we might find a little something-something, but it's, it's still going to be in the same text each week as opposed to straight four weeks of topical where I'm, where I'm bouncing around. And I think it's harder. I, I, yeah. Like I, topical I sermon series are a lot harder than a book. It's it's totally harder. Like, absolutely. When, when I do a topical series, it is, I'll do a topical series, but I'm going to not do topical messages. So here is, yeah. you know, right. if, hey, we're doing the fruit of the spirit. So what is faith? And then, you know, you get to, all right, here is an exegetical sermon that typifies what faith is. Here is, you know, so we go through whatever the topical thing may be exegetically. Well, like I also our... like the idea of having it, like you have this theme every year, our, our buddy Adam, they, they, they take every July off and they do uh, July in, in Psalms, and every January they do a, a, a church focus, like why, why the church exists. I'm like, okay, so that's, that's a natural break every year that I've, I've thought about because we just, we just did uh, week 52 of our series in John. It's a lot of weeks. And we've only had... I mean, there was like two breaks in there just from guest preachers who who didn't preach the text that Sunday. So for the most part, we have not had a break from John and won't until Easter. You know, I will say, you know, we, we're practically passionate. So practically speaking, I think that like having an undercurrent of theological discussion that is happening at some point in your church all the time is not a bad thing, right? Because a lot of times we, we tend to place all of our emphasis on the preaching from the stage, which I get it, man, I'm there. But having that happening intentionally in, in conversations amongst your congregants, whether it be in mentorships or your, your small group scenario, I think is really important. And then when you're coming in on Sunday morning, you're just reinforcing what your core is learning through the week. So that way um, it actually is more like a, like a double punch when it comes to your theology. Because we're learning the doctrine and then on Sunday we're learning how to like carry it forth and live it out in our life. And I think it's a both and combo with this. And that way you don't have to necessarily look at it, well, I'm just going to do the theology in between certain series. You could bake that through. And then also, I think when you think through your series, it's okay. Say you say you are doing a one-off. I like how Frank says it. Would you call it like a palate cleanser, Frank, um, between your, yeah. your heavy studies? It gives variety. Yeah. Yeah, variety. yeah. Like you, you, can, you can say, hey, listen, in this series that we're doing, this variety, like you could determine – I'm going to make sure that we hammer this one theological thing, right? So when, when we're done with the series, they're going to know it. And you just kind of, it doesn't become the focus of the sermon, but it becomes a, a, a small portion of each sermon. So that way your congregant gets to see how this one doctrine plays out over several different top topics. And that way this shows the applicable nature of your doctrine. I think that that's a really another way to take it where he, instead of just, we're going to have a, a doctrine series well, every series should have theology in it, right? So, like, we're just going to elevate this one theological position and show it throughout the whole series. I think another I, uh, just quick idea is you can do um, two or three weeks on, like, spiritual practices. Um, and, I mean, honestly, you can give yourself a little bit of a break there, too, because you could take, like, half the sermon time that you would have normally preached uh, and do, like, a practicum of that particular practice. Um 
And frankly, it's like it's one of those things where I mean, I think if we're thinking of the average churchgoer, hopefully they're getting a lot of content we you know over the course of a lifetime, but maybe they need some uh some practices uh and ways to actually like obey and put into put into mm. practice what they already know. Um so I think maybe think through that too. We did that uh like last year. I I pre-built in like uh break weeks, you know, standalone weeks into the year-long sermon calendar. And some of them were taken up with things like church planting Sunday from our denomination or mission Sunday or whatever. But then the other ones were just taken up with um specific spiritual practices. And what I did was made my sermon like 15 to 20 minutes and then the other 15 minutes or so was spent doing like a practicum of like how to actually do that. I'm actually doing that Wednesday night with the youth um, as well. So um, we're going to be talking about abiding and I'm going to actually teach them how to do like Lectio Divina, a couple other prayer exercises. Um, and so just give them like a practice of it. So that that's another thing you could you could maybe do for a week or two. I probably wouldn't do a long series like that, but, you know, interspersed throughout the year, uh, one or two at a time would be one idea. That's good. I mean, I was going to make a joke about how you guys, we were all talking about how topical sermons are more are more difficult than expositional, uh, ex- expositional sermons. Um, what's interesting is uh, Chandler made this joke one time. He says... Uh, I feel like he said this in the elephant room, but I don't remember when, he, when I heard it. It could have been somewhere else. He says, um, I don't mind doing topical sermons as long as they're done exegetically. And, and so it sounds exactly what Andrew just said. It's like, if we're doing, if we're doing this topic, I'm just going to sit in one verse for the topic and preach yeah. that as opposed to like um, do like true topical sermons where it's just like, you know, a grab bag of different verses, which I, man, it's just so hard to be faithful in that way. Um, hey, uh, so talking about faithfulness and preaching still, uh, there is this uh, question I saw in another Facebook group that I thought was interesting. Uh, the question is, how do you deal with plagiarism in sermons? We've talked about this before, and I actually have a, a thing I've been doing to my sermons ever since we talked about this. I, haven't, I don't think I've shared in this, in this group before. Maybe I have, but I don't remember. Um, the question is, I've been hearing a sermon series recently from a speaker and Googled the text and idea behind the sermon where I found me, myself reading along point for point. The speaker did have some of his own material sprinkled in, but generally said what the file I downloaded said as I listened, thought for thought, and often word for word. So uh, in the actual post, he asked, what do you do in that situation? Uh, and so I, 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 I'd be interested to know, like, what do you guys, I feel like, all of us probably have an anecdotal story where we know one person who just straight up copied a sermon and didn't attribute it to anything. And then at the same time, we've talked about the ethics of like what DYM does, right? Where, where we, um, you know, you give out manuscripts and you're saying, if you preach this word for word, you're fine with it. And I know Andrew and Tim, you guys have like this really cool, like sermon writing process where you guys are totally fine sharing to their sermons and preaching that. But there's a difference between, talking to someone and saying, hey, I give you permission to preach this, or we are having an agreement we're going to preach each other's sermons, versus um, straight up you know, taking a J.D. Greer manuscript and just preaching it, right? So what are your thoughts? What would you do in that situation if you found this out? If my bullet fits in your gun. <laughs> That's that whole idea. Uh, I think it can be deceptive. Like if you're doing it to be lazy, then then don't do that. You know, I remember I the first time I saw this. Where credit is due. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, I I was on First Samuel chapter three yesterday, 
And I said, hey, like just about every commentary you touch is going to have the same outline for this chapter. So this is not my original idea. And I think if you now if you're telling someone stories and and but eventually good exegesis is good exegesis and your good exegesis should be similar to my good exegesis. That's how you know it's good. So I don't think that's all necessary, necessarily plagiarism. But I think if you are going to use somebody else's work, you let people know, hey, this isn't all my idea. And more often than not, I find that, that what that tells your people is not, hey, I'm ripping somebody off, is, hey, I've studied, I found what orthodoxy is saying about this position, and here it is. Yeah, I routinely tell our people at Lakeview that I, I don't think I have an original word up here. Like Someone else has already said this at some other point. I, 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 I don't... I don't try to claim I know everything or that I'm writing everything. It's, it's coming from somewhere. Someone else has already said it. I, I don't have I any think, problem saying that at all. I think the caution for me, because I'm with you, our exposition should be the same. But I think our caution is like when you get into the um, the writing of the sermon, like the creativity in it can vary, right? Like I could be speaking on the woman at the well and the four D's you need to know about the woman at the well. And like some creative pastor is going to come up with that, right? I'm not saying whatever. I'm just saying like, because you know how pastors are like the five C's of corruption and stuff like that. Like in the past, like you can take that. What alliteration huh? churches are you going to? <laughs> Bro, I grew up Southern Baptist, man. Like my favorite album growing up was Riot by Carmen, The Righteous Invasion of Truth. That's anyways, the point I'm making is like, I do think there is no original thought, but sometimes we can just rip entire sections off. And the creative behind it as well. I'll remember the first time I did it. Um, this I, I saw it was when it was back in when New Spring was kind of like a thing when Perry Noble was here back in like 20, 2010. And I went there because they had everyone there, dude. It was which is weird now, but it was like Mark Driscoll, Andy Stanley, Judd Wilhite, uh, Judah Smith. They were all preaching in one day. And Judah Smith preached this sermon. I'm not gonna lie, it was. It's a pretty good sermon. It was on the Shunammite woman. You ever heard him preach that one? It's a good sermon. Anyways, so I subscribe to all these big pastors podcasts because I want to hear them preach. And the next Sunday, one of the pastors preached Judas Smith's sermon point by point using the same create. Because if you've heard Judas Smith, you don't, you got to get inside of that mind to come up with some of that stuff he comes up with. Right. And like, they just lifted the entire thing. And I remember thinking, is anyone going to do anything about this? So I have the same feeling. And I do think you need to practice some caution when using the, the creative aspect of sermon writing. But as far as your exposition, yeah, I'm with, I'm with you, Andrew. I think that like, I shouldn't be coming up with a new idea that probably just makes me an old heretic. Right. And then the saying, I was say, yeah, if, if I'm the first person to ever come up with this, <laughs> throw me and, away. You know, <laughs> yeah. If this this text has been studied by scholars for how many thousands of years, and I'm the first person to come up with this thought, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I do think that like when I'm in a commentary or if I am like reading uh, or, or listening to a, a sermon, dude, some people are just way better wordsmiths than I am, and so like their points are so much better than my points I could come up with. Or like if I thought deeply about it, I might come up with something similar, but that like. That's an alliteration that I wouldn't have come up with by myself. And so it will be it'll be really good. Here's one thing I've been doing. And maybe you guys do this and I'm just super late to the game. Um, 
I've been putting footnotes in my sermons whenever yeah. I'm straight up quoting a commentary or a pastor or a book or whatever. And, 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 and so that way, if I'm ever in a sermon where I actually say a quote but don't reference the pastor, I don't feel any guilt because if someone's like, hey, that's a really good line, I can be like, well, in my, if you can look at my sermon notes. It, here's the, the footnote for it. I don't feel any guilt about not referencing the name of the pastor. Also, sometimes I feel like when you are making quotes, giving too many references is almost like just a flex that you read a lot. And like, let me just get to the point of like, what's the goodness about the quote than being like, let me show you all my beautiful books in my bookshelf, right? But um, I feel like footnoting has been really cool because now when people ask me, hey, where can I uh, get more information? I could just either just send them my, my manuscript with the footnotes in it or just quickly tell them like, hey, I found this quote from here and this was a really good book about that or this or whatever. So footnoting has been good. Yeah, I've had that experience where I've said like either just said a line that somebody liked, but more I've had the experience like three or four times and almost every time it was when I said something like one commentator said and then I will say the line or quote and someone will come up to me after and be like, what commentary was that from? And then I'll just pull up my, you know, sermon notes, honestly, like on my phone in the lobby because it's in Google Docs and just like share that link with them or share that footnote with them. So, yeah, I would agree. That's a it's a really easy thing to do. And it doesn't yeah. have to be like academic footnote. It just has to be enough for you to give credit. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, sometimes like I'll even be in a commentary. Some there's some um, uh, what's that called? Um, it's not an exegetical commentary. It's a, um, it's a preaching, hom it's a homiletical commentary. And sometimes in the homiletical commentaries, they're like quoting other people yeah. and they'll have footnotes. And so like, so literally I'm like, I'm going to skip the commentary and go to the footnote and just take that because it's like, Oh, you're quoting Calvin. I'm just going to tell him what Calvin said, as opposed to Kent Hughes said this when he quoted Calvin. Like, I'm just going to go straight to the point. Anyways, I, I think this is interesting. I, Ultimately, I, I, the answer to this question, when they asked, what should I do? The guy was like, if you know the guy, say something to him. But if you don't, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, people are going to be plagiarizing. And if it's not your pastor, you might as well just leave it alone. So, hey, um, I, I know I would Andrew has to, that his elders would say something to him, too. I, I would hope that his elders would say something. I, I had an elder call me out a few months ago say, Tim, this, that entire paragraph was lifted from the same commentary that I have. And I said, yeah, absolutely, it was. And he said, you need oh. to make sure people know that. And I said, yeah, that's, oh, wow. that's a good point. I do that. So I, I hope you wow. guys would have and that he would have elders or someone that would speak that truth to him. It was really good for me to hear. This, yeah, to so me, that, the main so... concern in this whole conversation is the it's not so much like the academic intellectual theft thing, which is which is a thing. But these aren't academic papers. It's more the like you're kind of robbing from the church if you're doing this and like knowingly trying to deceive people because you're. You're, there's an again, there's an unwritten, if not written, expectation that you're spending time, um, that you're spending time, you know, doing some study in original writing, and if you're just ripping stuff off, then like, what are you doing with those other ten hours or whatever that yeah. would normally be spent in sermon prep? So that that's the biggest issue for me. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one more question, and this is actually gonna come from a real life experience, and then so I'm changing the doc if you guys are are, are watching the doc clearly. Uh, yesterday, I, I literally went and got I went and got props to answer the next question, <laughs> and you go and change it on me. We all heard good. you change it too with your typing. I'm good. holding yeah. a Johnny Mac study Bible in Pilgrim's Progress. Oh my god! Get, get, get that out of here, you dispy! All right, so here's here's what happened. 
I'm um uh we have we have a thing called small group leader training twice a year. It's for our small group leaders who um are leading small group. And so one thing I do is I go through all the difficult texts in the book of the Bible that we're reading and we're going to be going through and teach on the difficult conversations that are going to happen in small group based on the text. So for example, we're going to the book of Exodus. So we talk about what does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? We talked about what does it mean? Why did God kill? Like, you know, a pro ethic, like a pro-life ethic is, you know, life begins in the womb. Well, then why is not there's this law where if two people are fighting and it hits a mother who's pregnant, the baby dies, like, what does all this stuff mean, right? So someone straight up asked in the middle of it, because I talked about those difficult verses about, you know, God killing the firstborn son and then the weird law about, you know, if a baby dies in the womb, what does the penalty for the person that hit the mother is or whatever. Someone asked, do you believe, in front of everybody, do you believe in the age of accountability? And I, I, I give an answer, and I was like, I'm confident in my answer, but I just want to hear if you were in a setting that had an open forum where people asked you theological questions, and they asked you the question of the age of accountability, what would you say? And, and, and I would, I'd be interested to hear your honest answer to that question. What would you say? I would say based on what I know about the character of God, I can come to believe that. However, it is not a doctrine that I am super, super comfortable claiming that I'm absolutely right about. You know, there are, there are some doctrines that are worth dying over, and I don't know that that one necessarily is. I have been given peace in my personal life, having lost a few kids mid-pregnancy um, based on the character of God and, you know, passages you know whether it be David saying, you know, I'm go, you know, I he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. There's yep. multiple texts that people can use to get to that point, but I don't think it is as clear as other doctrines that we hmm. claim. So you're saying you're not dying on that hill? Um, <laughs> that's not a hill that I would break fellowship on. Yeah. It's not a hill that I would, you know, if if some that I am okay realizing that somebody might be way smarter than me on i think that if that is not a doctrine that you adhere to well then what there, there needs to be some other doctrines yeah. spliced in well yeah we we had to go through this in my first year of seminary and we had to read different positions on it and write lots and lots of pages on it so i honestly i would probably if someone's struggling with this i would probably hand them a couple of books one with each position for them to pray over and to read scripture over and to then for us to kind of have this what are those books timothy i will get them to you they're in my seminary dropbox folder so what you're saying is you've not looked at them in several years it's, it's been cruel? about it's been about five years and i i would probably hand them the paper that i wrote <laughs> like let's talk well, about this yeah i would say for me, in the back of my mind, I would always know that I probably want to do a follow-up with this person afterwards, right? If, if, if possible. But also, I have to, I would fully admit, well, that's a doctrine that does exist. I cannot point to that scripture, first of all, because I want to root my answer in that. But I can point to scripture and talk about original sin, so we have to deal with that. And also, we know that, you know, faith is, is the qualifier for to be in heaven, and no one comes to the father set through me says Jesus. So we have to deal with all that sin exists. Even, even if you didn't do it, you did it because you're a human by virtue of our first father. 
So, uh, whereas what what would sound nice would be a doctrine of a, a kind of you know age of accountability, but then what we're saying is, well, now I don't really need God because I get to go to heaven just by not being accountable. So what I would defer to is I would say, well, but I also default to the nature of God and that he is good and just and loving. And then on top of that, I look at people like John the Baptist, who from the womb recognized the Messiah. So we see that even from the womb that God had the power to move faith. And I do believe that God is gracious and just and that his children will come to him. And I believe that it is not beyond him to call people to the father by faith, even from the womb. And I will rest in that. And one day I will hope to see my child in heaven. Guys, um, I just got to say, I've never seen Pastor Delmar before. There it was. <laughs> like, he, he, oh. got, he got very, very, like, he leaned back. He was in his fields, he man. Down, Sorry. He, he, put down his, he put down his pipe. He spoke slowly <laughs> and gently. I've never seen this before. Usually he's like, Tucker Carlson, right? He's just like, oh, like super really? intense, right? But, uh, but, but I, was, I like this, Delmar. I don't know. This, I mean, I, bro, I this love a place that's personal and, and very, yeah. very passionate for you. And I, I, it, I love it. I appreciate it. My, my, my response is actually um, very similar to what everyone's been saying. But here's the thing. The reason why I brought this up is like, I feel like whenever I'm in a conversation with someone about theology, I have a theological answer and I have a pastoral answer. And my hope is that I always give the pastoral answer rooted in my theology answer. What I mean by that is this. When they asked that question, I merely said, no, I don't believe in the age of accountability. But, and then I said, we don't have a chapter and verse to tell us where babies go when they pass away. But I think we can do a theology of where babies go when they pass away. And like, yeah, like that passage with David um, um, and, and his son that died. Um, I think Romans 1 specifically talks about like, um, what you are, you are held accountable for what you are, what you know, because God has revealed himself in creation. And so I, 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 I think, I think Luther said, I don't have a chapter and verse about where babies go when they die, but I believe it's within God's character that there would be some sort of mercy and grace for children. Uh, I, obviously like my posture is if I go to heaven and there aren't children there, like, I mean, I. I'm, at that point, I'm not going to be like, God, how dare you? There's something in God's justice and God's sovereignty that I'm not, that maybe I can't fully comprehend this in my, in my life right now, but I think it's within God's character where children that die in infancy would go to heaven. My problem with the phrase of age of accountability is, is what you just said, Delmar, or, or Andrew, one of you guys just said this. If you take that thought to its logical conclusion, and no one's going to agree with me on this, but if you take the thought of age of accountability to its logical conclusion, then the most the most Christian thing we could do for all children is to abort them because that would guarantee their entrance into heaven. No mm -hmm. one's going to agree with that, right? Like that's a, that's an no. insane statement that's even rooted in sin because we would be murdering children. But like, I, I, that can't be the conclusion. Um, but also the age of accountability is confusing because then at what age, what do you do with adults with severe mental uh, disabilities that, you know, have the, the, the mind of a four-year-old, like it gets very convoluted. And so I think this is one of those aspects of the mystery of God and salvation that I am, I am going to trust that God is going to do what he pleases and he is always good and just, and whatever that means at the end, I'm just going to trust in him. But, um, but man, it's just, it's just, uh, it was just interesting because I asked that, answered that question so boldly 
Um, and then I was like, man, am I being too harsh? What about, you know, other people? I mean, there's some former Lutherans in the room. There's people who've had miscarriages. I, I, like, just, it was a mixed setting. And I kind of wish I was more just like, hey, that's a good question. Let's talk about that later. But ultimately, I gave my answer and everyone said my answer was good. I was just curious how you would have answered if you were put in that situation. I didn't answer in, yet. Oh, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah go ahead, I'm Jeff. so sorry. Go no, go ahead, Jeffrey Andrew. Carlito. You first, and then I'll finish. I was just going to say, I had a, a theology professor in seminary, and it was during, I think the class was harmatology, angelology, and something elseology. I don't remember what it was. But so, you know, the, the topic came up, and the answer was kind of similar to what we've had. You know, there's not a chapter and verse, yada, yada, yada. But the way that he prefaced it was he, he talked about he and his wife uh, losing a child. And all the emotions of what of you know what they went through and how the church was there for them and which made his position so much i don't want to say more palatable because it, it's a tough position to be like you know here's where i am in scripture i know the character of god i know what god's people have believed and yet from a purely scriptural standpoint i can't come to that exact position and I think that is what is lacking. Maybe that's what you were talking about, Frank, when you said, you know, I have my pastoral answer and I have my theological answer. But it's sometimes the best answer comes with the the reason before, you know, here and before giving you my answer, I'm going to tell you why I have peace and comfort in that answer. And maybe that comes specifically for those that have have struggled with infant mortality issues. Um, I, I don't know, but I don't think it is ever an easy issue. I have a, a, an uncle who um, passed away on September 10th, 2001. Let me tell you, that funeral was difficult to get to because no airplanes were flying. But the uh, when he was ordained, his wife had had a miscarriage um, four days before, and somebody on his ordination board um, did not know that they I... had just suffered a miscarriage and asked this question in a very theological manner, not a pastoral manner. And that's one of those stories that, you know, in, I wasn't around yet. I wasn't born yet, but in the family heritage history, I know what that did to my aunt. And it's a question that is, man, there are some things that we really, really, really want to be right about. And there are some things that I think we should be okay with possibly being wrong about. I'm not saying that we should go out and try to find the wrong answer. But I think the answer should be, here's what I think, and here's why I think I might be wrong, and I'm okay with being wrong on this issue. Uh, there's two things I was thinking of uh, before you even answered, but you, your answer right there just made me uh, – like the first point is, is even more emphasized. One is that I think this is one of those issues where there is never – there is never a time when someone asks you this where it's not going to be pastoral. Because you don't know, even if it's in an open forum and someone asks you the question and it's quote unquote a debate, there's probably somebody in the room or they themselves have some pain point with this. So I would never answer this question just totally removed from that um, from that perspective. Uh, having said, I mean, I just had this this week. I mean, somebody lost a two and a half year old uh, grandchild oh, under like shady circumstances. So, um, you know, they were asking me this question and I basically gave the same answer as you guys gave. You know, I lean into God's grace. I lean into his character. There really isn't an age of accountability per se in the scriptures. Um, but it does make sense based on God's character that, um, you know, he's a merciful, loving God. So I'm going to lean into that mercy and that love 
uh, and kind of, you know, just trust in that. But what I would say, and this is kind of a little bit of a theological journey that I've been on, I think part of the aversion, especially in our evangelical circles, to this idea of age of accountability or the desire for lay people that there is an age of accountability is directly connected to our idea of eternal conscious torment as the other option for um, heaven, right? And so if you begin to kind of dig into um, what some people call conditional immortality or annihilationism, um, which is a secondary doctrine, I'm not saying I hold to it, but I do think it has some uh, pretty meritorious uh, points in it. I think there's a connection there that I have uh, in the last couple of months started to think about Maybe this is why we struggle so much with thinking that a child would unfairly be tormented forever in hell um, before this quote unquote age of accountability. And that's kind of it, it just shows you how sometimes one doctrine will lead you to have to figure out another way to answer another question that 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 doctrine has a hole in. Right. Um, since mm-hmm. none of us know what, you know, hell is going to look like specifically. Um, it's, you know, all apocalyptic language in the scriptures, uh, no matter which doctrine of hell you're going to hold to, there's going to be holes in that doctrine because we're not going to be able to fully wrap our mind around it. So to me, this is one of those things where it's like, if you hold to eternal conscious torment, either just because that's what you've always been taught or that's your idea of hell, then it's a real struggle to think, well, do babies go there and get eternally consciously tormented? So I think, you know, if it was just a raw theological conversation where I didn't think the person was, you know, connected to this topic at all, I would probably want to have some exploration of how those two things are connected together. Uh, and that might be a good theological exercise. So yeah, Jeff, your Jeff... theological position oh. is love wins. Is that, is that oh, correct? Gosh. No, <laughs> that's universalism. That's yeah. a different well, heresy. You know, so, you know, but Jeff, you bring up a good point. If you're a pastor and someone hits you with that, sure. They're wanting to know about the baby, but really this is a question about God's goodness and justice. It's, it's, it is a question right. about that. And it's, it's peaking people's, um, which, which again, you could dive into a conversation about the Imago Dei and people that they have this sense of injustice right. at all. Why yeah, is that unfair? A hundred percent, dude. So I, I think, man, that's, that's a great place to guide that conversation. Yeah. Now I'm not saying I'm talking to a crying mother about eternal yeah. conscious torment. Of course, uh, absolutely not. But again, if this is asked of me in a forum and I think it really is an open place to have this conversation, I might go there because I think, again, I think I think the the doctrine of annihilationism, which is very different from universalism, um, has some has some arguments that have some merit. I would uh, agree with Jeff. And if you <laughs> if you if you have. One, you, yeah, I'm sorry, if you do not have one, you almost need to embrace the other. Right. Because if what we believe about God's nature and character is true, then neither of those, you know, they cannot coexist, which is why I think so many people lean towards what's going on? What's being zipped up over there? <laughs> we got someone zipping up a gym bag right next to a microphone. But the. Uh, <laughs> But it, it's that's why I think this doctrine has kind of been create not kind of but has been created because um, we either don't have a full understanding of God's nature and character, or we don't have a full understanding of what eternity is and will be. And we don't like mystery. And we don't like mystery. We don't like not having a specific 
Western linear answer. And My homeboys, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, made a billion dollars by saying, why have mystery? Here's a timeline. Yep. <laughs> On that note, Which, I, I, love, I love that this podcast went from, like, uh, you know, silly conversations about, um, you know, what we're going to do in Florida to a pretty in-depth conversation on theological depth of caring for people with infant mortality and Delmar getting his pastor voice out, which is sweet. It's pretty great. <laughs> well, you, you know, so like the pastor voice is there, but like the reality behind it, I, I'm, I feel a little bit like you, Frank, there's a theological underpinning that can be extremely harsh if we just pull that out. Right. Because my mind is immediately going to Romans 5. You know, just as sin came to the world through one man, death through one, sin spread to all men. This this does go to children, right? And for us to sit here and say, oh, they're innocent. Well, David said, in sin, my mother did conceive me. And, and they're innocent in the sense that maybe they haven't pulled a trigger on anything. But that doesn't give you a free pass to heaven. Because like you said, Frank, that, that would give a free pass to abortion or anyone who's not conscious. So, you know, we do have to contend with, with that. And, and ultimately, any conversation about someone going to heaven or hell that does not involve the name of Jesus Christ, we are not guiding that conversation in the right direction, right? If I'm going to invent another theological point over here, Jesus has nothing to do with it, then I have nothing to do with it because there's only one way. And there's only one way to have eternal life. So that's, that's kind of like the 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 abrasion under under what i'm trying to love people toward if that makes sense this is good well i think that's a good place to stop uh, uh we've had a pretty wide net in terms of our conversation if you have questions that you want brought up in the pod there's a place to leave a voicemail if you go to the show notes but also if you if you write a question in our Facebook group, there's a good chance if it's a good enough question, we might bring it up on the pod. So uh, go to our Facebook group, find us on Instagram, and uh, and we look forward to talking to you next week. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. This is Practically Pastoring. See ya. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group where we get to share ideas and make each other better.